Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. This podcast is dedicated to the millions of family caregivers who want wellness tips and self-care solutions, who seek expert advice, and who want news about healthy aging and how to create well-home design in our forever homes. I'm Sherry Snelling, a corporate gerontologist, author, and educator, a TV interviewer, host, and news commentator. I'm joining you from Southern California, where our interviews and news take us all across the country to explore the many ways to help you on your caregiving journey and to lift you up here at Caregiving Club On Air. Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air and our August episode on National Wellness Month, National Friendship Day on August 6th, National Relaxation Day on August 15th, and National Book Lovers Day on August 9th. And speaking of books, this episode is going to be dedicated to, and I'm holding it up for those of you who are watching us on YouTube, to my new book, which is coming out August 22nd, called Me Time Monday, the weekly wellness plan to find balance and joy for a busy life. So with that, I'm Sherry Snelling, your host. And as I mentioned, we're going to do a little bit of a different episode for August because first of all, everyone's on vacation. I had some plans of some people, actually some friends that I was going to ask to join me to be on this episode. And unfortunately, as happens with life, one of my friends lost her mom during this period and couldn't join. Another friend of mine lost her job. So we're suffering through some losses right now with my friendship circle. And I just want to do a shout out to all of those dear friends that you've always had my back. I have your back and my heart goes out to you. And I know things will certainly be better for us all as we move through this. But I just wanted to say thank you to all of my friends because so many were involved in the creation of my book. And so I'm going to take this on all by myself. I don't have an expert scheduled today. We're going to wrap all the caregiver wellness news and well-home design news into one episode here because a lot of those are the theme in my book. And I'm going to take you through just kind of some highlights. And what I did, which I thought was really fun, is I have a Goodreads page. For those of you who love to read books, you know what Goodreads is. It's where you can go and look up authors and different books and have your own library that you share with each other, you know, with other people, do some book parties and and other things and book clubs. But I actually put a question out there on my Goodreads page. When I knew my book was coming out and I said, here's what it's about. And I gave a little synopsis and I said, you know, what kind of questions do you have? So I've taken a lot of questions that I got from Goodreads, also just some emails from listeners of our podcast and some of the speaking engagements I did. And I'm going to take the top seven questions that we got and I'm going to walk through those with you today and answer some questions about my book. And then, of course, at the end of the episode, we will have our typical Me Time Monday wellness hack. And this one is going to be about the importance of friendships and also how friends help us relax. And that's all for National Wellness Month this August. So with that, let's dive into my new book, Me Time Monday, and those questions that I got from interested readers. So the first question comes from Ariel in Houston. What is your new book, Me Time Monday, all about? Great question to kick all of this off with. Really what my book is about is about finding that delicate balance in life where we feel like 
we've got equilibrium, we've got equal measure of happiness and accomplishment and social connections and health is feeling pretty good, but it's really about having that balance. And I think one of the things that I saw, I've been working on the areas of caregiving, family caregiving for about the last, I would say now almost 18 years. And when I wrote my first book, A Cast of Caregivers back in 2013, which is 10 years ago, which I can't believe, I had a chapter in there called Me Time Monday. And the concept was around self-care. Now, amazingly, because we all talk about self-care and me time and all of these things now, you know, wellness, it really wasn't as discussed back then. There weren't as many people focusing on it. I had been part of working on one of the very first research studies that came out on caregiver health and how very often caregivers feel so stressed from this new responsibility of caring for a loved one, particularly an older loved one, like a parent or an in-law or grandparent that, you know, a lot of the wellness tasks and activities and, and routines that they have get dropped. And no criticism, because it's really hard. When we aren't expecting something, it's hard to keep everything flowing really smoothly. So Me Time Monday actually then became a workshop that I did for employers and other organizations, which was about finding the essence of how do you practice self-care and how do you do it so that it's easy, so it doesn't take up a lot of time, because we all know caregivers have no time, and what are the things that we should be thinking about. So really, that was kind of the essence of this new book. And I think what really inspired me after 10 years of doing all this to write Me Time Monday is because I was witnessing through the pandemic, all of our lives were thrown into chaos or basically out of balance, right? And there was a great documentary that I saw when I was an undergrad at USC, and it was in my film class, and it was called Kawanakwatsi, which is actually a Native American Hopi language word that means life out of balance. And the more I started to do a little bit of research on that, I realized that it wasn't really just the pandemic, because there were other things that we were certainly feeling that our lives were out of balance, whether it was that work-life balance that we all talk about, whether it was all the technology now in our lives. And so this whole concept of balance and wellness was really kind of the seeds of what I wanted to write about. And even though I brought a lot of that into my workshops, the workshops only are able to meet the needs of a certain number of people. And I wanted to really spread the word further. So I've been doing a lot of writing, a lot of research. In fact, I researched over 450 scientific studies and peer-reviewed studies, as well as other books and watched documentaries and went to conferences and heard other speakers speak. And I also interviewed about 20 to 25 experts across the globe to really crystallize this concept of what is wellness all about? How do we find balance? And Part of what I describe in the book is I tell you about the techniques and the tips, which is the Me Time Monday part. But then I take you into what I call the seven elements of your life. And I really feel like those are the seven elements that really bring balance. And I'm not going to get into it right now. I don't know if we have a question on this, but seven is a very powerful number, by the way. You know, you think about we've got seven days in the week, we have seven notes in a musical scale. We have seven colors in the rainbow. So there's, there is a lot of really interesting equilibrium around the number seven. But aside from that, I focused on these seven areas and that included physical, emotional, social, intellectual, environmental, financial, and spiritual. 
And what I really think is interesting, and I, I'll talk in a minute because I know we have a question on this, is the environmental piece is not what you might think of as being kind of a sustainability program or equal friendliness. It's really about how our environments support our overall well-being and our health. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a couple minutes. But that was really the essence of this. And the other thing that I captured in the book was something that I called the new joy economy. And what's interesting about this term, and I think I had heard it or seen it somewhere. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily that I'm the one that came up with this, but I'm going to run with it and I'm going to make it big because when you think about it, when we came through the pandemic, you know, we were isolated. Obviously, we lost some family and friends. People were losing jobs, losing businesses. There was a lot of loss that we were suffering from. And we wanted to get back to, again, a better balance in life, celebrate more, come back together. And so when I think about economies, you know, we don't have a lot of control over inflation. I do work in the aging space as a corporate gerontologist, and we talk a lot about the longevity economy, which is an $8.3 trillion market. And what that represents is that people over the age of 50, that's their buying power and their contribution back into the economy and our society. We also talk about the care economy, and we know that that's a growing economy. In fact, I think it was the World Economic Forum who said it's the number one fastest growing economy because we're going to have so many more people living longer. We're going to need more people who really focus on care, particularly towards more of that third part of life. And so I do a lot of work in those economies, but we don't have control over those, right? Those are just going to happen because of trends and demographics and things that we see with financial markets and business and all of that. But we do have control over the joy economy because the joy economy is very personalized. It's just for us. It's how we invest our time and our effort and our energy into things that are going to bring us happiness and bring us that joy which is really so essential in life. And it's really essential to not only our overall health, but certainly our well-being. And so that's really, for me, that's the essence of wellness is balance and then couple that with joy, which is how I got my subtitle for my book, How to Find Balance and Joy for a Busy Life. But that was really what I thought about and what the book is really going to hopefully help readers understand and give you some really great resources and some great techniques on how to capture this for yourself and create your own joy economy. Question number two comes from Sarah in New York City. What inspired you to write your book, Me Time Monday? Great question, because I think I had been thinking about writing this book for a long time. As I mentioned, my first book, A Cast of Caregivers, came out about 10 years ago. And in that book, I had a chapter called Me Time Monday. And so the, the seeds of Me Time Monday were sown then. They were plowed then, and, and I planted them. And then they've grown into a workshop that I do for employee resource groups and other organizations. And that's what I've really been working on, honing those workshops and webinars over the last 10 years. But what really happened is I think, again, during the pandemic, what I was witnessing is just my own personal feeling of a life out of balance, being isolated during the pandemic, watching a lot of the loss of family, friends, businesses, whatever it was. There was a lot of things that were pulling us apart and our lives definitely seemed out of balance. And I was also seeing a lot of surveys about family caregivers being more burned out 
And even having suicidal ideation, which really was concerning. I mean, that's serious stuff. We don't want to see that. And so I realized that despite the fact that over the last 10 years, I've been talking about self-care and wellness techniques for family caregivers, how could I make this more real for people? And how could I get that message out to even more people and give them some good science, some really great stories, and also some solutions, which is really the three things that the book is about. Because I am a storyteller, I love the storytelling part, but you know, we have to get to the solutions. And that's giving you the tips and techniques and other things that'll help you build a better life in balance. And so that was really the inspiration for me to create this book. And give, I think, every reader out there, and you know, I write for family caregivers, but to be honest, it really has a lot of interest, I think, for just general, mostly adults, but you know, maybe even some teenagers that might want to pick this up and take a look at it because it's certainly about how do we at any stage in life find better balance for ourselves, have more of that control that we need to feel over our lives to create that happiness and that joy that bring us better health. And so the other thing that I thought was really inspiring is as I started digging into a lot more wellness research, so doing a lot of going to conferences with the Global Wellness Institute, looking into well-building standards and other things that really fall into this category of wellness, one of the things that I was seeing is that wellness is not new. <laughs> in fact, wellness is ancient. I take people back in a brain health perspective two to three million years ago when we were originally developing you know, our human brains. And then I talk a lot about how the ancient practices of India and China and Rome and Greece and Aristotle obviously was a wellness guru of his time, but it was all about finding that balance. And so many of the things that I discovered through all this research, and then it's certainly more recent research, even still though being considered older because I was finding things from the 1920s and the 1960s and the 1980s. All of this still is the premise and the foundation for wellness today. So we have a lot of new techniques and things out there that are coining themselves wellness. We have wellness resorts and wellness pillows and wellness tuna fish and everything's wellness, right? But what does that really mean? Because it's not about buying things. That's the whole point. Wellness is about a personalized plan that we create for ourselves. And it's not about perfection. One of the things that I found as I did my workshops and talked to more people about this is that this whole push on wellness seems to create this sense of it's a self-defeating exercise. Like I'm not perfect enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not eating right, exercising, meditating, blah, blah, blah. And so I really wanted to strip all that away. I wanted to go back to the basics, back ancient history. So I take you on a little bit of a history tour through the book. And I wanted to really help people understand what wellness means. And really, again, wellness is about balance. It isn't about a new cleanse, a new exercise regime, a new pill or supplement that you can take or a new breathing technique. All of those things are great and they can certainly fit into your wellness box. But really what wellness is about is focusing on small things that you can do for just a few minutes a day or even during the week, because that's what Me Time Monday is all about, weekly practices and being kind to yourself and really doing things that don't require you to go out and 
buy some equipment or an outfit or pay for expensive lessons. It's things we can find in nature. It's things we can find in our interpersonal relationships, which are so vital. Social health is so important to our overall health and well-being. So I hope that you'll really find a new definition of wellness in my book. And along with that, you'll find the techniques on how to practice those wellness elements in the seven different areas of life, which I know sounds like a lot. It's like seven. Are you crazy? But again, very small steps in these seven different areas are going to bring you balance in life. And that is going to bring you wellness and happiness and joy. So question number three comes from Joe in Denver. And by the way, shout out to Joe and all of our male listeners. We have mostly a female audience, but I have to say we've been picking up more men who are listening to the podcast. So welcome, gentlemen. And thank you, Joe, for your question about my book. So the question is, you say you write your books for family caregivers, but Me Time Monday seems like a book that could benefit any adult. So that's a great question because I do. When I first sit down and I do any kind of writing, I typically think about family caregiving, aging, people who are older, or how we age across our lives. That's kind of my orientation as a gerontologist. But what happened with this book is I realized that wellness was broader and actually fits into any age stage of our lives. And that becomes really important because some of the things I write about in the book, so for instance, there's a chapter called Wellness Begins in the Womb. And it's all about the epigenetic effect of how we can have some switches on our DNA change just by the influence of being in our mother's womb. And then it can have effects later in life. And there's a whole story about Dutch children during World War II that I tell about that kind of illustrates that fact. But it's really important to understand that so many of the things that we do, of course, early in life can affect our health and our well-being later in life. But that doesn't mean that just because maybe you didn't do everything right when you were younger or you just stopped smoking and you're 50 years old, it doesn't mean that you can't practice better health practices that are going to benefit you for these bonus years that we get in life. So you can really start your wellness plan at any time. And it's also, again, it's not gender specific because a lot of these techniques and a lot of the things I talk about in terms of the seven elements of life aren't specific to women or men. It is more about just generically as humans, because so much of what I really focused on in the book, and we have another question, so I'm going to, I'm not going to answer all of that in this particular question, but I'm really dedicated to how neuroscience, which is the science of the brain and brain health, how that couples with nature to create our wellness that we need. And so how do our brains work? What are the things we need to think about in terms of stress response and the brain? And what are the things that we can do that comfort the brain and bring that brain back into a calming effect and give it a wonderful world that it's living in and all these things. But I really focus a lot on the brain. And of course, you know, we all have brains, so it's relevant for anybody and really anybody of any age. The other thing too is that Again, I, I typically write for family caregivers, very often the sandwich generation, which are the caregivers caring for children as well as older adults. That doesn't mean that if you're older, 
that you wouldn't be interested in this book because I talk very much about what we need to do in our 70s, 80s, and 90s to maintain certain wellness and health and happiness and and other things. And what's really interesting is that I shared some of the chapters and the themes with my nephew, who's in his early 20s, and then my mom, who's almost 80, 79 mom, not 80 yet. So that's a very diverse age group. And they all had interesting things to say and said, oh, yeah, this is really interesting. So I feel very confident that this is a book that definitely will appeal to a lot of people. But again, the upfront of the book is really about family caregiving and what's happening with our longevity and our bonus years and how we have to think about that in terms of it's a marathon, not a sprint. How do we manage that caregiving and not let us, you know, get us off the wellness road, get us detoured so that we don't have enough time and have the ability to practice some of these wellness practices, which is really, really important. The other thing is that I give a little bit of a definition to caregiving, which I think is trending right now. It's actually evolving And I don't know that anyone's really specifically talking about it in this context, but one of the things that happened is a few years ago, the Harvard Business School came out with a new study that was done among employers and employees, and it showed that one in three employees are actually caregiving. Now, the definition of caregiving in this study was anyone caring for a child all the way through caring for older parents, in-laws, or grandparents. So it was a very broad definition. If we want to break it down, people who are working, who are employees, who are caring for someone over the age of 50, so this is going to be more typically maybe a spouse, again, a parent, in-law, grandparent, or maybe a sibling or a friend. If you're caring for someone over the age of 50 and you're working, that's one in six employees. So this is becoming a real important area for employers, which is where I do a lot of my work with HR departments and others, you know, work-life benefits companies and things like that. And one of the things that I did in the book is I took now this broader definition of caregiving and I said, okay, let's look at this it in the context of former First Lady Rosalind Carter, who was the first person, by the way, to identify burnout in caregivers. And she had a famous saying that basically at some point in life, we're all going to be caregivers. Well, I want to take that and I want to kind of expand that a little bit. And what I looked at is, okay, we start life being cared for. We end life being cared for. And then in between, we're forming relationships, okay? And those relationships may take us down the path of having a spouse or partner. We may decide to have children. We may have older parents again, grandparents, aunt, uncle that we're caring for. I even saw a commercial the other day that said caregivers of pets. So if you have a pet, you're a caregiver. Anyway, this definition of caregiving is now very broad. And then what's the underlying across that life course that we have? What is the underlying constant? And it's self-care. So this is where I'm really focused. So if we go ahead and accept this broader term of caregiving, and we say it's really not about just people who are in their midlife or older, caring for older adults, it really happens throughout life. It just depends on who, when, where, what our choices are in our relationships, I think hopefully that might get us to a place where we can plan a little bit better for what we don't plan for now, which is the older care, you know, caring for older adults. It often happens in a crisis, but we have to recognize now we are living older. This is going to become a big part of life just as much as the other relationships that we have in our lives. So how do we plan a little bit better? And again, how do we not get derailed with our own self-care because we've taken on now an additional person that we're caring for throughout life. 
And that's just part of having linked lives. Humans are social animals. We need to be together to survive. We don't survive as loners in ancient times. When you were kicked out of the tribe or the group, you couldn't really survive on your own. And that kind of plays out today as well. We have this need for these relationships. And so how do we better support employees? How do we better support people, particularly for the one that we don't plan as much for, which is the later in life caregiving, but caregiving is a constant. And that's why I call it Gen C, generation caregiver. And it doesn't have to do with age or gender or where you live or any of the typical demographics. It actually has to do with psychographics. And psychographics is something that I've studied for a long time, having been in marketing positions throughout my career. And psychographics is really more about attitudes and beliefs and needs of a certain group. And I can't think of a better way to describe caregivers because in general, there are some basics that all caregivers need. And then we'll have some specifics depending on maybe what the disease or the disability or the person we're caring for, if it's a younger person versus an older person, there will be some specifics. But basically, Generation C is the continuum that we have throughout life. That's the role we're all going to play, generation caregiver. And that is a lot of the upfront explanation of the book, Me Time Monday. So this next question actually comes from Keisha in Chicago. And this is a really great question. It's based off of some of my marketing language for the book. But she asks, you say Me Time Monday will help readers Marie Kondo their life. Can you explain? So for those of you who aren't familiar with Marie Kondo or KonMari method, she is a guru who's been out there for several years on how to declutter your home environment, how to become a little bit more organized. She talks about sparking joy in your life and only keeping things in your environment that bring that spark of joy, which is really a great foundation for a lot of the things that I write about in the book, which is how do we spark joy? How do we find better balance, better wellness. So when I said that this book is going to help you Marie Kondo your life, she focuses mostly on decluttering your home. I'm talking about all of the things that we have in life. How do we take these seven elements of life that I talk about, physical, emotional, social, intellectual, environmental, financial, and spiritual? How do we take those seven elements and how do we organize them and declutter them so that we're just focusing on the things that are most important to us. And one of the things that we know is we have what we call choice overload. Now, this is actually a phrase that was coined by Alvin Toffler back in, I think it was the 1970s even, when he talked about the emergence and the fast pace of technology innovation was going to create choice overload for humans. And what would we do then? Well, we're, we're there, folks, right? We have thousands of streaming options for our entertainment. We have all these different digital devices in our lives. So much of our social life is caught up in social media. And while all of those things can be seen as progressive and innovative and maybe even helping us in certain ways, on the other hand, it is also in some ways, isolating us, crippling us a little bit in terms of using technology instead of doing things that bring us sparks of joy. So let me give you an example from the book. I talk in one section about actually washing the dishes. Now, most of us, I would think, have a dishwasher, right? And it's easy. You can throw your dishes in there. You don't even have to clean them off first. Throw them in there. Put a little 
dishwashing liquid and voila, you know, they're done in 20 or 30 minutes, which is super convenient and very, very helpful for those of us who don't have much time like family caregivers. On the other hand, what that has done, it has taken away kind of a perfect opportunity to slow things down, to have just a few minutes where maybe we're daydreaming, maybe we're thinking about, you know, different things and having our hands in sudsy, soapy water, which is very comforting. It's very soothing. It's very calming. It helps to, with that parasympathetic nervous system to kind of calm us down, help with our breathing. And there have been studies done on this, by the way. This is not just, hey, Sherry's saying something, we should go back to analog lives. No, what I'm saying is we have to understand where we want to use technology because it's helpful and maybe it saves time. And then maybe where we want to grab some of the old-fashioned ways of doing things because they are helpful, because they force us to slow the pace down, to comfort and soothe ourselves, again, through that multi-sensory, which is what I talk about so often in the book, using your five senses, you know, the sense of sound and sight and taste and touch and smell. You know, you can get all of those things through some of these exercises or some of these activities like washing the dishes, right? So that's kind of what I mean by Marie Kondoing your life is how do we clear the clutter? We actually, from a psychological standpoint, by the way, one of the things I learned in my psychology courses as a gerontologist is that we are actually happier with less choice. Now, the difficulty in that statement is, well, how do you know, though, that maybe this very rare choice that you get or having a thousand options of what you can watch, you know, in terms of your streaming or television entertainment or cable entertainment isn't good because there's going to be somebody out there that wants to watch this versus this. And if we only give them these options, you know, it kind of forces them into making those choices. There is an argument to be made for that, but just strictly from a psychological standpoint, less choice makes us happier. And it's because We can sift through it a little quicker. We can identify the things that are important to us and then we can embrace those things and that soothes us. But when we have to spend minutes or even hours thinking about going through all these different choices, just think about as a family caregiver, all of the details that you have to wade through to navigate the healthcare system. It's so complicated. There's so many little nuances here or there, things you don't know. That's kind of what I'm talking about. How do we simplify? How do we streamline? And how do we Marie Kondo our lives so that we can embrace these seven elements of life in small ways, but do it in ways where we don't have this this choice overload. And a lot of it also has to do with doing a little bit of a digital detox, getting back to what you might consider analog or an old-fashioned lifestyle, but in some ways actually really comforts us and calms us. So this next question actually comes from Jennifer in San Diego. And the question for number five is... What are microflows? You talk about microflows in the book being related to baby steps. Can you explain this a little bit more? So microflows is actually my terminology that I use for the book. I think Ariana Huffington calls it micro steps. BJ Fogg calls it tiny habits. But what it really relates to is 
again, simplifying and really downsizing our wellness practices and our wellness routines and how much time that we feel we have to spend on these things. Very often, I think, when we think about starting something new for our our well-being, it's like, okay, I've got to take on this whole new way of eating, or I have to start this whole new exercise regime, or I have to meditate for at least 20 to 45 minutes, or, and there's so many other elements of wellness, but those are the ones that people most think of. And so what we use in behavioral science is really something that is about simplifying it, breaking it down, making it smaller and smaller so that it is doable. Because very often the reason why we don't stick with certain routines or we don't even embrace them and kick them off is because there's too much. It's too much of a challenge. We have all these mountains and obstacles in our way. And so from a brain health and neuroscience perspective, we just shut down. We say, okay, too much to tackle. Let's take the easy route, which is eating the ice cream instead of doing something healthier or whatever it is. And so when I talk about micro flows, there's a concept in the book that comes out of positivity psychology, and it's called flow theory. Now, most people think of flow as Zen, go with the flow, kind of California surf bum. I'm from California, so I can say that. But, you know, most people think of it being that, and it's really not. It comes from a psychologist who is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who really identified flow theory. And what he said is, if you combined your energy with an effort, that you find enjoyable. So the three E's, energy, effort, and enjoyable. If you combine those three things, you will find your flow. And we see this in, for instance, Olympic and professional athletes. We call it being in the zone. And what it means is you are spending time doing something that you love that requires a little bit of an effort and some energy, but you have no distractions. So it's very different from meditating because a lot of people think, well, that's just meditation. Not really because in meditation... You may be focusing on a mantra or your breathing or a pose in yoga. This is something different. This is something where you're pursuing something that you really love that's enjoyable, but you have no distractions. And so in yoga or in breathing exercise, sometimes we get distracted. We have to bring ourselves back. Well, in flow theory, you won't even feel those distractions. And one of the stories that I tell in the book is around Sully Sullenberger and the miracle on the Hudson. And I won't repeat it here because hopefully you'll buy the book and read about it. But he was in flow when he saved all of those 155 people, I think it was, on that plane that day because he was using his flow of being a glider pilot. So you'll get to read a little bit more about that. But, you know, we don't have to be a heroic pilot or an Olympic athlete to find flow. A lot of people find flow by reading a book and getting caught up in the story. Sometimes it's in baking, so you can feel the texture of the food that you're creating, the smells. You see the beautiful maybe colors or the recipe coming together. That's another great one. Other people find flow being in their garden. But it really is where you don't have those distractions. Actions, you are just simply in this really enjoyable flow channel. And when we can find micro flows, so five minutes now, you know, to, to bake a cake or something, it's going to take maybe half an hour, right? 
maybe you've only got five minutes. So maybe it's just the smell of certain things that you might bake and you're just smelling that and experiencing those smells for a bit. Or maybe instead of getting out in your garden and needing to get your hands dirty and you've got so many other things going on, maybe it's just looking at your garden out through the window or going and walking through the garden for five minutes. So those are the microflows. Okay. Those are the breaking it down to small little steps that we can take little five minute, seven minute activities that you don't feel like you need to get completely immersed in it, but it is giving you that sense of flow even for a few minutes. And what, what it happens is it does give, it boosts things like your serotonin, it boosts your mood hormone so that you are feeling a little bit better. You have that sense of joy. You have that spark that actually helps us then continue on with some of the other challenges and responsibilities and activities of the day. So that's what microflows or baby steps are all about. So my next question comes from Alexei. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Alexei in St. Louis. And this is question number six. What is the magic behind Monday in Me Time Mondays or the Me Time Monday program? So great question. It's really based on science, but We know from a cultural perspective, Mondays are the day that we start new things. It's the day that we start a new work week. It's the day that we start the school week or or whatever. So it's already kind of part of our cultural DNA. However, there's been science that's been done through Johns Hopkins University and others who have shown that people are actually more successful when they do start a new routine on a Monday and then they kind of check in with themselves every Monday to see how they're doing. And I love that concept and I really embrace that when I came up with the Me Time Monday idea because I wanted to have Monday be the day that family caregivers and everybody can say, okay, this is the day that I'm going to think about me. What's going to happen for me? What am I going to do for myself this week? And a lot of people have asked me, does that mean I have to do the activity on Monday? Because sometimes my Mondays are really packed or I'm traveling or whatever. And the answer to that is no, you don't actually have to do your self-care activity on Monday, but you have to think about it every Monday and you have to check in with yourself and you have to take a look at the previous week and say, hey, did I get my me time Monday? Did I find some balance and maybe some of these other elements of life that I wasn't spending as much time in? And if not, that's fine. You're just going to reset yourself. You've got a whole new week and you can do do something new that week. So you can practice your me time at any point during the week, but checking in with yourself, rewarding yourself if you have succeeded in getting a little me time in last week and then resetting yourself for the new week is really what the concept and the behavioral science is all about. And what's really important is very often we talk about New Year's resolutions and I talk about the Me Time Monday, people who participate in my workshops as resolutionaries. And what that means is we're going to go past, we're going to blow past those New Year's resolutions, which don't don't really work, by the way. At least 50% of people are dropping their New Year's resolution by, you know, about February or March because it's so nebulous. It's one big, giant goal for the whole year. And it doesn't really give you a pace and a program and a cadence, if you will, for practicing your wellness. And so having that weekly, again, that cadence of a weekly check-in with yourself, it also is a pause, right? It's a moment to say, me time is important. Self-care is important. How do I get my five to seven minutes this week? Now, a lot of people have 
what we think about is Monday anxiety, right? There's a syndrome called the Sunday scaries. That's for people who get really anxious Sunday night, maybe even a little depressed that, oh no, everything's starting all over again. I've got so much going on. I have to be ready for this. And I didn't quite get things done last week. So it's really kind of a negative positioning in terms of your psychology. And then there's also, we've seen this new movement called bare minimum Mondays, where I'm just not going to do hardly anything on Monday. And that's your right. You know, if you want to practice that, that's fine. But what I push back against is that those are really focusing on the negative. And by the way, the science and studies have shown us that Mondays are no more blues days. You know, you're not any more depressed or anxious than any other day of the week. Friday, of course, is typically the day most people are happier because it's the end of the week. But Mondays actually it's more of a kind of a perception rather than a reality. So what we want to do is we want to reframe Mondays. We want to make Mondays me time. And again, you don't have to practice it, but you have to think about it. And I just want to read you a couple of statistics because these were really important. And these came out of, again, some of that Johns Hopkins and other university studies and surveys around good behavioral healthy practices. And this comes from actually the Healthy Mondays campaigns that I did some work with. So it showed that 64% of people said Monday starts them going during the week, that they like it. It's a good day to kind of kick things off and know that you've got the next seven days to get in a little me time. 54% said Monday helps alleviate my stress during the week. So having that kind of planning day on Monday so that you know what's ahead, you take a look at the calendar, you see where you can fit in a little me time. That's really important too. And I also want to just explain a little bit about me time. I think I answered that in another question, but what's really important is that me time doesn't have to be a solo pursuit. It could be something that you're doing socially. It could be lifelong learning where you're taking a class. It could be going to a a class or going on a bike ride with a friend or a walk with a friend or having coffee. So it doesn't have to be just you. You can either do solo or you can do social. So either one really is about me time because it's about what fills your soul, what brings you that spark of joy and that feeling of wellness, which is so important in our lives. So that's the magic behind Mondays in Me Time Monday. So our seventh question and last question comes from Melanie from San Rafael, California, which is right outside of San Francisco, by the way, near the John Muir Woods. And this is that's important because it's going to weave itself into this next question. But question number seven is you talk about how you blend neuroscience and nature in the book. Can you give us more details? This is probably one of my biggest missions, if you will, when I was writing the book as I, you know, as a gerontologist, I study a lot about psychology and mental health and emotional health, but I also study a lot about brain health and how the brain functions. And it, to me, it's fascinating. I am fascinated by neuroscience because it's really kind of one of our last frontiers that we haven't fully explored. We're still learning so much about how our brains work. And one of the topics, by the way, in the book that I think you'll find really interesting is about neuroplasticity and brain exercises, things that you can do to really strengthen and build new neurons. Because now we know, and this is only over the last 20 years, we actually know that we can create new neurons in our brains. So we thought, you know, decades ago that we were born with a certain amount of brain cells and that's it. 
And, you know, if you lose those brain cells, that's it. You don't get to build them back. And now we know that's not true. We can build our neurons back. So that's that's really important. But getting back to the question. So what I was studying and the research I was doing, and particularly going back to, you know, two to three million years ago when our brains are really developing. So I talk in the book a little bit about the ancient brain, which is that two to three million old brain versus the new brain. And so the ancient brain is the one, and I have some illustrations in the book, by the way, but I talk about how that's really tied to our survival instincts and our stress responses. And it's based on ancient things that we saw, smelled, touched, heard. It's multi-sensory. And so our ancient brain really focuses on those five senses in terms of survival. And, you know, this is where we learn about the fight or flight response. And so there's a new theory now that I write about in the book that's called tend and befriend, which typically happens a little bit more with women in a stress response. You'll read all about that. But what was fascinating to me is how much of our ancient brains are still really controlling a lot of the things that we feel. So when you think about anxiety and you think about depression and you just think about overall sense of you know stress and feeling overwhelmed it's because our brains are not able to assess all of this information in the way that we were used to and we go back to kind of that ancient brain and so you know i talk a lot throughout the book about bringing nature back into your life the balance of having technology has to be balanced with nature so whether it's getting outside whether it's having a beautiful view of outside, even things that are in color psychology. So for instance, the colors are so important to me. It's why I use that as one of the motifs in the seven elements. I use the seven different colors, not exactly of the rainbow. I chose my own colors, but you know, color psychology and chromotherapy is something that's really on the rise right now. And if you think about it, things like radiation and ultraviolet lights and red light therapy, all of those things are based on chromotherapy, which is ancient, by the way. And that's the other thing that fascinated me is so much of this research I was doing showed us that the ancient practices are still here. We just call them something new. But again, going back to how the brain works, you know, we really calm ourselves. For instance, when you want to get into sleep and stay in good sleep, pink noise. So pink, there's your color, right? It's a sonic hue. We know that all of these sounds have colors associated with them. Pink noise is your best choice. Now, people know about white noise, and I'm seeing commercials now about green noise, which is very similar to pink, but but still slightly different. So I explain in the book why pink noise is the best. It's because it represents nature sounds, okay? And that will get you into sleep faster and keep you in sleep longer. So you get all of those great cycles of sleep. Another one is, for instance, you know, we think about new diets and the newest diet fad. What should we do? Well, something very simple is just eat the rainbow every day. And so I have all of the different colors of foods and what their benefits are in terms of the micronutrients that we need. And I also interview a great expert about how our microbiome affects our brain health and our brain function and how so much of the things that we see with brain health, whether it has to do with ADHD, autism, Alzheimer's, 
All of those things could really be addressed through a better nutritional and particularly micronutrient type diet. But if you eat the rainbow every day, which is fun, right? That's not counting calories. That's not, you know, having to abide by some kind of plan or whatever. It's just, have I eaten all the colors today? Oops, I didn't get purple because that's a really rare food, right? Let me see if I can get some grapes or something that would be good. So it's kind of becomes a little bit more fun. And I think, again, what I want to do is I want to help you have healthier practices, help you have better well-being that I know affects your brain health, but how do we use fun and how do we use nature to get there? And that's that's just a, another example of it. So I think what's really important is the book is really dedicated to understanding brain health. I do a lot of information for you about how your brain works how it responds to different stimuli, how we need to work out different regions of the brain because we want to keep that brain really healthy. And it's the same as working out your body. You have to work out different regions of the brain. How do you do that? And how do we reduce our stress and oxidative stress, which leads to inflammation, which leads to chronic illness. And those are all the things that we see that are so detrimental to our society today. So I'm a neuroscience nerd. And I also love nature. I love the teachings of nature. And they're simple. What I love is you don't have to go out and buy anything. Nature is there for you. We just have to seek it. So if we can bring those two things together, that was really my mission in writing the book. And those are the main themes of the book. And I mentioned being an area like maybe near something like the beautiful John Muir Woods. That's just an extra bonus for people who can get to something like a forest bathing experience or at least walking in a park or walking down a tree-lined street or whatever it is, or even in your own garden. If you can create your own garden, maybe in your windowsill, have a small little herb garden. Those types of things really help us out. It's amazing what it can do to help calm yourself calm your brain, calm that stress response. So neuroscience and nature, those are the two things that I'm blending in the Me Time Monday book. So thank you everybody for sending in your questions about my book. I really enjoyed talking to you about some of the main themes and what you're going to learn in my book, Me Time Monday. Also, for those of you who are watching us on YouTube, you have a little special surprise. I'm holding here my little furry daughter, Penny, who was a big part of the book, and she wants all readers to know that there are some sections in there about pets and how they help our health and wellness, including a story about the Rainbow Bridge. And we also want to do a shout out since it's August to former First Lady Rosalind Carter, whose birthday is August 18th. And she was one of the early pioneers in caregiving, who one of the first national figures that really identified caregiver burnout. So it's perfect that her birthday is during August National Wellness Month. And Penny wants those furry friends of hers out there to also know that August 26th is National Dog Day. So now let's go to our Me Time Monday wellness hack. Welcome to our Me Time Monday wellness hack. This episode, we're highlighting August National Wellness Month and also two other celebrations we have in August. National Friendship Day on August 6th and National Relaxation Day on August 15th. Humans are social animals. We cannot survive alone. Going back to our earliest beginnings, we learned to build trust, form relationships, and rely on others for comfort, food, and protection. It is why science shows us that our relationships are the number one thing in helping us be happier and healthier. But it is not the virtual friends you accumulate on social media. It is the in-person connections using our five senses, looking into someone's eyes, feeling the warmth of their hugs, smelling their scent, 
hearing their voice, and yes, even tasting their kiss, that can increase our feel-good hormones of oxytocin for bonding and serotonin for a mood boost of happiness and joy. The Harvard Adult Development Study is the longest-running study on health and happiness, and it shows it is the quality, not the quantity, of our relationships and having at least one confidant, that person who always has your back, will actually help us thrive. We live linked lives. When it comes to relaxation, we have three tips for you during this wellness hack. The first tip is calming the vagus nerve through breathing techniques. Now the vagus nerve is the longest running nerve in our bodies from the brain to the bottom of our spine. It represents the main component of the parasympathetic nervous system, which oversees a vast array of crucial bodily functions, including control of mood, immune response, digestion, and heart rate. When overstimulated, such as during a stress response, it can cause anxiety, mood changes, and even nausea and pain. Now you can calm the vagus nerve through breathing techniques. And one of my favorites is the 478 technique and it comes from Dr. Andrew Weil, a leader in integrated medicine. Here's how it goes. You breathe in through your nostrils for four seconds. Hold the breath for seven beats. Slowly release the breath for eight beats and repeat that at least three times. And that helps bring the vagus nerve into a calming position. Tip number two is how to float past your anxiety and gain better relaxation. So Claire Weeks is an Australian psychiatrist who was the woman who helped to crack the anxiety code back in 1962 with her book called Self-Help for Your Nerves, which is still actually a bestseller today. She explained the mind-body connection and how it can alleviate and treat stress, depression, anxiety, and other mental health disorders. Weeks called her books Transfusions of Hope, and her method for addressing panic attacks and feelings of anxiety. There were three steps that she outlined. First, face the fear, accept the symptoms of whatever is causing you anxiety and giving you heart palpitations, sweaty palms. Face that fear. Second, float past the fear, just like a leaf floating downstream in a lake or river do not analyze the fear, just let it float away from you and visualize that. And third, let time pass. When you allow fear to not panic you, it means it will disappear more quickly. Most people who suffer from anxiety and panic attacks try to deny it or fight it rather than accept it. And this was the breakthrough that Weeks provided. I actually love the floating phase, which Weeks called masterly inactivity. And our third tip for finding relaxation is to revel in nature, literally immersing your senses in nature environments, such as taking a walk in a forest or along a beach or in a beautiful garden or a beautiful park. Listen to the nature sounds, breathe in the air and the smells, and just be in awe of nature's beauty. Now, you don't have to walk, you can also sit in a comfy chair or even a hammock and just stare at the sky or the stars. Being in nature actually cures our stress and sends the body and the brain into a state of calm. 
We hope you enjoyed this Me Time Monday wellness hack. Each episode of our Caregiving Club on Air podcast features a new Me Time Monday wellness hack. And you can also check out more great wellness articles, information, stories, and solutions from my new book, Me Time Monday, the weekly wellness plan to find balance and joy for a busy life, which is out this month, August, which is National Wellness Month. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Caregiving Club on Air. Please listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, and other listening channels. And you can check out all the resources and article links on our episode guide page at caregivingclub.com. And just hit the podcast tab. You can also email us at podcast at caregivingclub.com with any questions or concerns or anything else you'd like to know. And you can also check out my new book and all the information and the book trailer at metimemonday.com. This is Sherry Snelling. Take care and stay well.